You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm, I'm Tommy. We'll be talking or continuing our studies into the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul basically has talked about the fact that he will restrict himself um, in love so that his brothers and sisters can grow in Christ. So um, Paul says that I, I would rather put some boundaries about my own life. If I know a brother of mine um, has a weak conscience about alcohol or struggled with alcohol in the past, I would, I would, I would restrict myself from drinking alcohol. If I know my, uh, my brother struggled, has had issues with um, some types of music. I know some people in this church who have issues with some type of music. And I wouldn't play that music in my car, even if I don't have issues with that music. So um, Paul has said, I will put some restrictions around myself. And so there's a, there's a, um, a temptation to think that, you know, this life of, um, that we, we're called to in Christ is a life where we are essentially called to restrict ourselves and place some rules around ourselves and live in a kind of box. But then Paul goes on in um, chapter 9, and he starts in verse 1 and says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? And so Paul goes on to remind them that actually I'm not living in some types of, type of um, sort of bondage or servitude or some type of um, legalistic mind frame, but I'm free. You know, I'm an apostle of Christ. Um, you know, I have seen Jesus. I, I, I'm his workmanship. And basically what Paul is trying to remind people of is, is our actual status as people who have been called into faith in Christ. We are called to freedom. You know, we are called to live freely. We're called um, not to be, um, to live freely to commit sin, but we're called to live freely for the things of God, for the works God has created since before time. And God has, has all these things that he wants us to do. And sometimes when we think about freedom in Christ, we think about, oh, it's the freedom to pray in the morning. It's the freedom to dress humbly and homely. That's not what, it, that's not just what freedom entails. It means I'm free to eat whatever I can eat, or I want to eat rather. It's what Paul was saying, that I'm free to eat these things. You know, I'm free to celebrate, have fun. You know, I was at a wedding yesterday. Um, I saw some of my, my friends from university, and, you know, we were just enjoying each other and just having a good time, just laughing. Um, but we are, we are free to celebrate. You know, sometimes people think that as Christians, it's a, it's a life of just this somberness and you have to look very serious. Um, and, and the more serious you look, the more pleased God will be. You know, you know I think there's something that's very interesting about Christ is, you know, people, people are made fun of, well, not made fun, they insulted Christ by saying that he was hanging out with all these people, eating and drinking. They said that he, he came and, he, and all he's doing is eating and drinking. Basically, they were accusing Christ of just, he just, he's just a glutton. He's just feasting around the place. But what really are we free to do? We're free to live our lives under the law of God, under, in Christ, under the law of God. But we're not free to commit sin. We're not, our freedom doesn't call us to commit sin. So I'm free to drink alcohol, but I'm not free to get plastered. That's not it. You know, you can't say, well, I'm going to go and evangelize to some guys, and then I, I know they drink alcohol, so I'm, I'm going to have like 10 glasses so I can evangelize effectively with, for, with them. That's, that's not what freedom is. 
Yeah, sure, you're free to have a pint, a couple of pint, but not to the point that you make a mess of yourself and then they don't even know what you're there for. You don't even know what you're there for. That's not what the freedom we're called to in Christ is. And so Paul was laying clear that we are free, just like Adam and Eve were free in the garden originally. God said, look around you, eat anything you want, just one thing. You're not God, but there's one thing I'm going to restrict you to because you're not God. That tree, you live, but everything else, enjoy yourself. And that's how God sees us. He says, enjoy. But there's some things that I've protected, I've kept aside for your own benefit. And we're still living in the consequences of the fact that they wanted just that one thing. They wanted just that one tree that God didn't want to give them. And we're living in the consequences of that. But if they remained and just were free to do the, eat the other trees, you know, we'd be, we'd be perfectly fine. And so this is what Paul is saying. We are free. And then in verses 19, which is the, well, the main body of the text we're going to be focusing on today. Paul goes on to say, and he says, For though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. And then he goes on to say, To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Don't not be myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, talking about the Gentiles, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some and do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And so this is the crux of the matter. Paul, as if you look at First uh, uh, Corinthians nine, from one to nineteen, he basically labors and says, "I'm free to do this. I'm free to do this, and I'm an apostle. I saw Christ face to face. I'm a messenger. I've, I have the status, and all these kind of things." And then Paul then says, "Though I'm free, I have made myself to be a servant to all." It's very. It's a very key point. He didn't say. I am a servant to all. He says, I have brought myself to become a servant to all. So Paul then says, look, though I'm free, I, I recognize there's an obligation on my life. There's an obligation on my life as someone who is connected to Christ, as someone who is an apostle of Christ, as someone who is a messenger for Christ, as someone who is a representative of Christ. I'm free. But I also recognize that I have an obligation. You know, the famous words, with great power comes great responsibility, is what Paul is trying to draw out here. And then Paul goes on to say that to the Jews, I become like a Jew. To those who are living under the law of Moses, I became as one living under the law of Moses. To the Gentiles, to the Greeks, I became as a Greek. To the weak, I became as a weak person. I became all things to all men that I may win some for the gospel. Now, the, the Bible is full of God's truth. But one of the problems that we have is that sometimes those truths have been misinterpreted, misinterpreted or have been um, abused, either because of ignorance, either because of selfish, um, dodgy motives. But we've had abuse of the scriptures. And one of those 
this, the, the most abused passages in Scripture is here. I become all things to all men. And sometimes people, it's a big phrase, it's a common phrase in our society today. Some people don't know where that comes from, but that's, this is the source of that phrase. And some people use that as a way to justify their lives, especially within Christian circles. I become all things to all men. They use it as a, an excuse to sin. And I think this is the biggest um, error that we can fall into, which is where we say, oh, for the sake of the gospel, I will sin. You know, Paul reminds us in Romans that, you know, um, shall we go on sinning because of God gives us grace? He says, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Because Paul says, you know, God gives grace. He gives us so much grace to, to you know, the, where, where there is sin, more sin, there's more grace. You know, so you have a guy who um, stole a nickel from a shop, right? God gives grace for sin and, and another person kills, commits murder and God gives more grace. And Paul then goes on to say then, this doesn't however mean that we have to keep on sinning because God gives grace. In the same way, Paul is saying here that we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that because we're all things to all men, that means we have to carry on in a life of sin. This isn't about encouraging sin. This isn't about encouraging the world to carry on in the way they are, to affirm the world in, in what they're doing because somehow we will win them to the gospel. Now, let's put it this way. One of the biggest things we face in our society is one of the biggest movements we face today in our society is the, the social justice movement. And there is nobility in looking after the poor and the weak and the hungry. But we have to remember that God calls us to bring the good news to mankind, not to feed mankind. That is a secondary um, mission, if you can put it that way. Jesus Christ fed at least 5,000 people, because there were 5,000 men, not mentioning the women and the children there. So maybe 10,000 at the very least <clears throat> he fed. And then if you follow on from the chapter where Christ did this amazing miracle, and he fed all of them, and then Christ goes on to say, I am the one who will take you, who will heal you of your sins, who will save you from the judgment of God. And they were like, but you're just, a, you're just an ordinary bloke. You're, you're just, you're just you're from Nazareth. You're, you're a carpenter. You know, like, come, who are you? But he just fed them. He's just done this amazing thing. And they were chasing after him. And Christ said to them, he says, you, you, didn't, you didn't come to me because of, you know, the words I have. You came to me because you want some more bread and fish. In our context, you came to me because you want some more fish and chips. But that's, that's what Christ recognized. He met their physical need. But there was a, a spiritual need that they had that they needed even more, which Christ was ready to give to them. But even though Christ gave them all this amazing food and everything, they still rejected Christ. If you read, if you read that passage, thousands turned away from Christ. And so the primary goal Christ calls us to, to become all things to all men, is for the gospel. As Paul says, I do it for the sake of the gospel. I do it not so that I'll be the coolest person. People will like me and say, oh, it's a really nice person. He's a really kind person. You know, he's a really lovely person. Those things are good, but the gospel is key. Because we can, we can, we can feed sinners, 
into the wrath and judgment of God. They can be nice and fat, but still be waiting God's judgment. We need to recognize there is a, there's a much deeper need, requirement that we have as human beings, and that is to be right with God. And that has to be the primary thing. Every other thing comes after that. And people say you don't put the cart before the horse because the cart never pulls the horse. In the same way, you don't put all the good things that we do, the good works, you don't put that before the gospel. The gospel is key. Gospel is key. And so um, that is um, basically the, the sort of, the, the sort of a, a holistic scope of, of what Paul is talking about here. Becoming all things to all men, that he may win them to God. He may win them back to God. Now, there's something about um, the gospel that is very, within Christian circles, is very familiar. You know, if you've been around church or Christian people, you would have heard the gospel a thousand times in a thousand different forms. And you know what they say, familiarity breeds contempt. And it's the same with us. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm listening to a sermon and I'm, all the nice, wonderful explanations, I'm like, really, that's good. And it gets the end part of the gospel. I'm like, yeah, in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I get that bit. I know, I know, I know what you're going to say. And we are, we are like that with the gospel. We, it becomes a stale bread in our mind after a long time. And so we, we have to remind ourselves, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What is it like? The gospel is, is like a man, a passenger of a Boeing 747, enjoying a luxury flight in first class. But he's fed up because the air in the plane is stale. The food is nice, but you could look down and see the, the much nicer food. Yeah, you can see a lovely antelope on the savannas. <laughs> says, I'd like to try some of that. And you can see the clouds outside the plane. I said, well, that looks really nice and fluffy. And I, I bet the wind is better than this stale recycled air I get in this plane. I said, the person's like, I'm fed up. Jumps out of the plane and gets a massive rush of wind in their face. And it's amazing. And it's wonderful. It's, oh, this is so cool. Look at the view. It's so great. I'm, I'm free. <laughs> and the person gets closer and closer to the earth. Certain death. The co-pilot of the plane sees this foolish passenger and jumps right after this passenger. One parachute backpack catches up to him. You ever watched Mission Impossible, right? <laughs> you, you guys get your Mission Impossible minds on now. Well, I'm not talking about jumping like that. I'm talking about jumping streamlined so you can catch up. Because some people are thinking, well, if he's jumped all that way, how's he going to catch up? You have to be streamlined to catch up. I've never parachuted before, but I've watched enough Mission Impossible, so I know what I'm talking about. The co-pilot catches up to this man with one parachute between both of them, exchanges the parachute, pulls the chute, lets go of the man. The co-pilot falls onto the rocks, certain death. The foolish passenger is there gliding and survives. This is what the gospel is like. We are like the co-passenger. We are like the people who say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I think that looks nicer. I'm going to do it my way. But in our foolishness, we, we forget that there is a danger in doing it our way. 
we forget that it doesn't look as nice as it actually is. There's death at the end of that choice. And what, what, is, what does that mean? There is, what, what is that? Why does, why does it have to be death? Why does it have to be so grim with you Christians? Why does it have to be death? Why can't it just be fluffy clouds? Because we serve a holy God. And one of the things that I find fascinating, and if I'm honest with you, sometimes don't like about God is His holiness. It's because His holiness is scary. And the reason His holiness is scary is because I'm not holy. There is something about God's holiness that we want to keep out. That's why whenever you see Every time in scripture, God appears. It's always that covering his face like, oh. People think, oh, it's because it's a bright light. There is fair. There is a, a separation. The separation that happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And they were always chilling with God. When it was six o'clock, God comes down, has a walk with them. Everything is fine. And then there was that schism. And God comes walking. And everyone was hiding and stuff. Branch. Fig trees, leaves. Why are you hiding? Because at that moment, we realized that he is holy. And we are, we are beneath that holiness. There is something about us that just cannot mingle with that holiness. Where oil doesn't mix with water is where this, the sinfulness in us just cannot stand the holiness of God. And what that holiness in God means is that he must be just. If he's holy, if he's holy, if he's set apart, if he's the standard ideal, he must be just. If God is the ideal, if God is about, about righteousness, about what is right, then there has to be justice. And this is what it is. This is, this is, this is the, the biggest problem we have, is that God is holy. This is why every other religion, God isn't holy. They might tell you God is wonderful, he's really shiny, he's really bright, he's great, he's magnificent, but he isn't holy. And the reason why I say their God isn't holy is because he doesn't demand perfect justice. Because in those religions, man somehow gets into the presence of God despite all of the the stinky stuff that we've carried and we've done and we've thought about, we've said all our lies. We somehow, somehow managed to stand before this holy God in other religions. And this is why one of the most biggest hurdles about the faith, faith in Christ is that, or the Christian faith is that the holiness of God is, is inescapable. You cannot escape it. You cannot bridge that gap. Oh, I, I'm going to... 10,000 acts of good today, every day, for the rest of my life is not enough. Because even in our acts of good, there is sin. That's how fallen we are. That's how holy he is. And so, what does justice demand? Justice demands that what has been made wrong is put right. And it says that, in scriptures, the soul the sins shall die. The soul the sins shall die. There is an oughtness. The soul the sins shall die. This is the what they call the, the law of, of sin and death. The 
the soul that sins shall die. There's no escaping out of it. In the same way, when you jump out of a, a 747, the law of gravity takes hold of you. It doesn't care what your intentions or your motives are. It doesn't care that you're a really nice person. It doesn't care that you, all you really want is the antelope in the corner of the savannah. It doesn't care. It is the law of gravity. It has no regard for you. And it's not personal. The law of gravity doesn't have, oh, well, that's my favorite person. Oh, I don't really like that guy. The law of gravity is the law of gravity. In the same way, the law of God is the law of God. And irrespective has no respect for any person. And so once you jump out of the plane, what the, the law of gravity takes hold. It starts to act. When we sin against God, when we sin against his holiness, and people say, well, I didn't really sin against God. You know, it was against that guy. It was against that girl. You know, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, we, we learned about this in the men's fellowship yesterday also. He said, I have sinned against God. In his confessions in Psalm 51, it says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Can you imagine? You walk down the street, someone says something insulting against you, or you, someone says something you don't really quite like, and you slap that person against the face, and then you turn around to God and say, God, I've sinned against you. That person will be like, you're crazy. You just slapped me in the face. But this is what David said, because all sin." All sin, ultimately, is against God. All sin is against God. Because, ultimately, the person that you've hurt or armed will not be the one that judges you. God is the one that will judge us. He gives us our life, and he will hold our lives to account at the end of our lives. And this is very crucial. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so in Ephesians 2, 4 um, and to 5, it says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly place with Jesus Christ. And this is the good news. This is the good news. The good news is that we deserve the wrath of God. If we are honest, with ourselves. And people say that, no, 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 God can't judge me. The reason why they say that is because they're not honest. If we're really honest with ourselves, you, you have two types of people in jail. Those who were there, well, you might have three, but those who were there because they did it, and those who were there because they didn't do it. Right? Some people are, gu- are innocent, but you have some people that are guilty and say they're innocent. I, I didn't do it. It, it, it wasn't me, God. It was, it was the woman you gave me. Oh, it, it wasn't me, God. It was that serpent. We always find a way. It wasn't me. God made me this way. You know, oh, Lady Gaga, I was born this way. It wasn't me. It was you. We'll blame God. We'll blame anything but our own actions. And this is why we are deserving of sin, of God's wrath, rather. But it says, God who is rich in mercy. That means God who is bursting at the banks with mercy. Bursting. It's not like a stingy, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge type of character. I'll give you a little mercy today. Tomorrow I'll give you a little smack on the, on the backside. No, he is bursting with mercy. 
bursting with mercy so that by grace we are saved. We didn't earn it. We didn't earn his good works. We didn't earn that righteousness. We are saved by grace. And this is the good news. This is why it's good news, because we can't do anything about it. If I could do something about it, I'm like, oh, well, that's great, then I can do something about it. But if I can't do something about it, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I need help. A perfect life for a guilty life. That is what the gospel is. And then we go on to what Paul talks about a bit deeper. In the book, the 3D Gospel by Jason George, it's a very short read. It's a very good book on understanding um, the, the sort of multidimensional elements of the gospel. It says the gospel is a many-sided diamond, and God wants people in all cultures to experience its complete salvation. Now, what this means is that people are different because God created people different. Different cultures, different tribes, different languages, different quirks. But the God who created the Englishman is the same God who created the Scotsman. The God who created the Arab is the same God who created the Indian. They're all different. Different cultures. But he wants all of them saved. He wants all of them back into his family. So being all things to all men, we go back to that again, isn't about, as I said before, sinning or breaking God's law, but it's about attempting to genuinely understand the people God has placed in and around us and bringing the gospel to bear in a way that is relevant to them. In a way that is relevant to them. What that requires on our part is getting to know people. There has to be some type of relationship. How do you know the differences? I mean, I, I grew up in Nigeria, but I've lived in the UK for 17 years now. So I can tell you the differences and the, the, the little um, digs between the English and the Scotsman. And I just enjoy sitting in those conversations. <laughs> you know, I just like, smile to myself. But it's the same way everywhere in the world. People are different. And they have the little quirks they, they, they do. But God loves every one of them the same. He loves every one of them the same. And so we have to know these people. We have to know how do they think? What, what are their triggers? In that same book, it talks about three elements to um, sort of human society. It talks about um, types of societies, a guilt, uh, uh, innocence society, which is type of Western society. Um, it talks about a, a, a fear, uh, a power society, which tends to be the more animist, um, paganistic societies. And it talks about a, a a shame on a society, right? And what that basically means is that different people are motivated by different things. Some society, people are motivated by what, what, what you know, bringing honor to the, to the group. You know, um, a, a, a well-known itinerant speaker, Ravi Zacharias, commit, well, attempted to commit suicide because he, wasn't, he didn't do very well academically and he felt like he was bringing shame to the family. Now, People in the West who commit suicide tend to do it because, like, you know, they're ridden with guilt and, or, or feel like, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm just not good enough. Whereas with, with, in, a, in an Eastern culture, it's shame. That's why um, if you look in, in South Korea and Japan, suicide tends to be very high there when people have, seem to have brought shame or done something that is dishonorable 
um, in the community. And in society, such as where I come from, there's a lot of motivations. A lot of people are motivated by, by fear, by, oh, the, 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 what the, I don't know, the, 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 the spiritual elements are doing to me and, and how the spiritual elements are oppressing me. But in the gospel, and this is the, the genius of the gospel, in the gospel, all those elements are addressed. In the gospel, God says, my son has taken your place. You're free to go. You, you don't have to be, you're not guilty anymore. You're, you're free to go. In the gospel, God says, I've taken the righteousness of my son, taken that lovely, wonderful righteousness, and I've wrapped it around you. No shame anymore. I've covered your nakedness. In the gospel, God says, I have destroyed the power of death. No need to fear death anymore. It says, power of life and death are in my hands. This is the beauty of the gospel. And when we get to know people, we have to, we have to source out what are their mot- the motivating factors in their lives and bring the gospel to bear in those areas. A church says that um, we will do anything short of sin to bring the gospel to people. It's very radical. Because people go, well, there's a lot of things you can do that's not quite sin, but it's still, you know. A very good friend of mine at university um, used to be a, a, a DJ. And, you know, we used to go to different towns and he'll play. And I was like his sidekick. You know, every Batman needs a Robin. <laughs> so we used to go around. And then two years ago, he called me when I moved to Ipswich. He calls me out of the blue and was talking about, Mohammed and Christ. And I thought, oh, oh, great. He wants to, he wants to receive the Lord. But he, he, actually, he just became a hardcore Muslim. He knew that I was Christian. So he wanted to challenge my faith and all that kind of stuff. So I said, you know what? Let me come and see you. You're going to cook jollof rice like whole time. We're going to sit down, eat it, and then we're going to talk about this. And so that's what we did. I went to his place. He made some jollof rice and chicken, just like old times. We sat down, we ate argued, I brought a Quran, I said, this is what it says in the Quran, this is what it says, da 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 we challenge it back and forth, and then in the evening, it's like, you know what, it's about six o'clock, or, or I can't remember that time exactly, he says, I'm going for evening prayers, he says, you know, come to the mosque, and I said, sure, so first time ever, I went to the mosque, watched them pray, I sat at the back of the mosque, and then after his prayers, we went back again, going for it again, arguing, if people came into that room, they think that we were having a fight, we weren't. That was the type of relationship we had. And we are not enemies even till now. He knows that I've taken the time to know his faith. He knows I've taken the time to see how we worship, to understand how he thinks. He knows that I have no ill will against him. And so I can come to him and say that Jesus Christ is the only way you can be saved. This way you are following, following would not lead you to life. And he, he, he will know that Tommy isn't saying that because Tommy's this arrogant guy. He knows that I care about him. And this is how we should be with the gospel. We should meet people where they are. Don't say, well, why don't they go to church more often? Meet them where they are. So what the church does on Fridays, a life group goes out on Fridays, and they go out to go and evangelize. They have a stall, and they, they mingle with the people. And one of the, um, the gentlemen, I was speaking to him yesterday, 
um, was talking about singing with people um, in, in the, uh, that he meets. And I think it was engaging in some Justin Bieber songs. <laughs> and then afterwards, he says, all right, guys, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing here in town. This is the gospel. Christ is the way. You can be saved and have an everlasting relationship with God and have your sins forgiven. He brought the gospel to them after singing a song of Justin Bieber on a Friday night in Ipswich. This is what it means to be all things to all men. I'm just going to wrap this up very quickly. The effectiveness of the gospel. One of the biggest hindrances to us is we feel that the gospel isn't very effective. We feel we need to add some jazz, some guitar. We need to add some spice to it, some turmeric to it, to give it some life, some zest. A pebble in the hand of a shepherd boy against a 10-feet giant clad in bronze is pretty useless. Let's not get all biblical here. It is useless. You don't take a pebble to war against a beast clothed in, 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 in bronze. But in the hand of God, it is a mighty weapon. In the hand of God, it will put fear and melt the art of an army. A single pebble. This is what the gospel is like in the hand of God. This is why it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says, you can bring that up. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And it is not the things that we do that we add to the gospel as the power. It's not the, the, the soup kitchen that is the power that makes the gospel. It is the gospel itself. It's the power. It's the power. That's the power of God. And when you're in, when you, when you're in battle, right? And you're, you're, an, you know, you're an archer going back, you know, how many years ago? And you're facing the enemy. Just, just let loose. Let loose. But find his mark. There's, there are, there's a mass of men on the other end. It will find his mark. It's not your job to, to say, well, how can I follow the arrow? Perhaps I can guide the arrow a little bit like this. Or perhaps I can, no, no, just, just let loose. It will find its mark. This is what the gospel is like. It's effective. It will find its mark. St. Augustine of Hippo, walking through a garden, lived a life chasing after women, heard the words of God. And his heart melted, and he became one of the greatest fathers in the church. I can't remember the face the pastor would preach, the name of the church, but I heard the gospel. I remember I was in a church, I heard the gospel, and my conscience was pricked. And I responded, and my life has never been the same. My relationship with God and with sin has never been the same. I cannot sin in peace ever since that day. Many in this church know exactly what I'm talking about. The different places you met yourself, you found yourself in life where the gospel came. Like an arrow, let loose in battle. The gospel will find its mark. So we're going to bring this to a close. Perhaps you see yourself as a person who has no relationship with the God of heaven. You know you've left that airplane and you are in free fall. You know, if God comes today and says, it's time for judgment, you know you are not in right standing with God. This message is for you. 
And the second group of people are people who feel like, I wish I could share my faith more. I wish I could be all things to all men. And I, I feel like I'm closed. This message is also for you. That God gives us courage. He says, I haven't given you the spirit of timidity, but I've given you the spirit of courage, of love, of, of power. That's what it says. So there is power today. We all but ask. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you because you call men who have no desire to know you. And you bring us into your family. I thank you because of the rights that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray for those who do not know you, Lord. I pray, O God, that you will convict them. I pray, O God, that you will let them know that you've loved them since before the foundations of the world. And I pray for those here who want to share their faith. I pray for courage for them. I pray, O God, that they will have new ideas, new courage, new passion, new compassion for those who are lost. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.